Welcome to the Friday Men's Breakfast Podcast brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. In this week's lesson from the Israelites' journeys in the wilderness, Dale South shares with us about Moses' second time of giving the Ten Commandments to the Israelites, this time to the new generation right before they take possession of the Promised Land. So open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 5 and join us as we continue to learn how the journey from bondage to freedom points us to Jesus Christ. Guys, if you turn to Deuteronomy 5, we're going to work our way through the passage here this morning. The heading that I have in my, I'm reading from the Hallman Christian Standard, and it says, uh, Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Israel, listen to the statutes and ordinances I am proclaiming as you hear them today. Learn, follow them carefully. The Lord our God made a covenant with us all at Horeb. He did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face from the fire on the mountain. And at that time, I was standing between the Lord and you to report the word of the Lord to you because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up to the mountain. We're going to stop there and just begin this little introduction piece here. The, the Hebrew word there that this begins with is the word that Hunter's going to use next week with a prayer that the Jewish people would, would even today still uh, recite on a daily basis, some of them twice a day, in the morning and in the evening, and it's called the Shema. And, and this word Shema means basically hear. It's saying, hear Israel, Shema Israel. Uh, and then it goes on to kind of unpack a little bit even of what Shema is, is it says you need to, to hear the words I'm speaking today, you need to learn the words I'm speaking, and you need to, to obey those words. You know, and I, I think if there's one kind of little weak spot in our discipleship, as Hunter and I have been talking about, I think we, we've, we've got this thing between hearing and doing, and James even talks about in the New Testament, right? Don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. And but between the hearing and the doing, sometimes there's a step of learning that we, we really need to do some training. We, we, we need to figure out how, I've heard this now, I want to be able to do it, but I'm not sure I'm equipped to do it. I don't know exactly how to do it yet. And you know, that's, that's why Hunter and the pastoral staff are at the chapel. That's why if you go to a different church, your pastors and staff are there to help equip you so that you can learn to do what you're hearing from God's word. In verse two then refers back, it says, to the covenant the Lord made with us in Horeb. Horeb's another word there for that area would be like Mount Sinai. So the, the, the Sinai covenant, sometimes you hear it called, sometimes you hear it called the Horeb covenant. And Exodus 20, back uh, is where we find the 10 commandments the very first time that God made with, with his people in Horeb. And now we find a restating of those 10 commandments in Deuteronomy 5, verses like 7 to 21. And it's not a word for word identical to the original uh, from Exodus 20, but it's, it's really, really close. And so this is, I think, one of the reasons Hunter mentioned even in the introduction here that Deuteronomy, namos is law, Deuto is the, Deutero would be the second the second law or the second telling of the law, the second receiving or giving of the law. So it's the 10 commandments back from Exodus 20. Now this is the second telling of the 10 commandments that are inscribed in scripture here. And 
as we, we look at this, we, we want to remember when the Lord made the covenant, the original covenant at Horeb, when that happened. And we all also want to look a little bit about is what, what has happened since that time. Okay, so when did it happen? What has happened since then? And I, I believe that Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 14, will help us out on that. We're, we're, I think I might have it here on the screen in a moment. Um, where am I? I think I got some slides pretty much out of order. Well, let me just tell you what that verse says. Um, it says, um, in the time from our leaving Kadesh Barnea until we crossed the brook Zered was 38 years. Until the entire generation, that is the men of war, had perished from the camp as the Lord had sworn to them. So, so we see here that God had made this covenant at Horeb 38 years earlier, okay? And we look back at the text, we see that they'd been in the wilderness about probably 13 months by the time he made that covenant with them. They'd been wandering a little while before they got to Sinai. And, and so, but that was 38 years ago for that. And we, we see now in Numbers 13, uh, going back there again, that God has sent out these 12 spies. You'll remember we had a, a teaching on that as well. And Joshua and Caleb were among the two of the 12. And they all went out there and all the men agreed to spy out the promised land. And they all said, this is a spectacular land. This place has grapes that are huge. It's a land that truly is flowing with milk and honey, but there's a lot of big giants in there. And so uh, we're just not sure that we're gonna be able to take that land. So Joshua and Caleb gave a good report and said, no, we need to trust the Lord to give us the promised land. He will go before us, he'll fight. But the other guys gave a negative report and they said, no, no, no. And then people started to grumble. And they said that God had led them out there into the wilderness just to let them die. And so in Numbers 14, again, I don't know if I have that on here or not. You, it's, I, don't, I do not recommend trying to put your slides in order during the Kentucky uh, basketball game. <laughs> <laughs> Things happen. Um, anyway, um, I do have this one. And, and so in Numbers 14, 28 to 30, we read, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. And that is, you know, the Lord's brought us out here to just die in the wilderness. That's what they said. He said, so what you've said, I'm going to do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. And all of your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me. Not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Now, except for Caleb, we see that Joshua was young at the time. Uh, and we see that anyone 20 and above who had not trusted the Lord, anyone who had not given this good report, all those people were going to not be able to enter into the promised land, but they would die in the wilderness, just as they had accused the Lord of bringing them out there to do, to die in the wilderness. Now we're seeing, unfortunately, you know, in Ukraine today, we're seeing everybody 18 and above, you know, and even a lot of young women are taking up guns. There was a pretty powerful photo yesterday. My wife pointed out of a young girl with a lollipop, teenager probably, 
in our mouth and our gun going out the window there. And so we, we, we see this recruiting of everybody of a certain age. And so in Israel at this time, it was 20 and above. Everybody had to be able to go fight. That, that was their fighting force at the time. And, and so how many of you here today are like 39 or younger? Okay. Got a, got a few of you. Hey, guys, Jack, good to see you guys, Joe. Um, so you guys would have been born after the Horeb Covenant, okay, after the Sinai Covenant. Uh, how many of you here are 59 or, or younger? I can't raise my hand. I got just a few of you in, in that category. Well, you would have been under 20 at the time that God made the covenant at Horeb with the Ten Commandments, all you who are 59 and below, and, and, and you would have uh, spent the following 39 or 38 years in the wilderness in anticipation of one day being able to get into the promised land. Now, how many of you are 60 or above? Can you figure out where you would have been? <laughs> you would have been dead. <laughs> Except for Caleb. Now, Caleb and a select few, Joshua, and, uh, <clears throat> I don't even know about Aaron and Moses. I mean, it didn't really say Aaron and Miriam on this. I think they, uh, you know, were a different category perhaps. But um, everyone who had been 20 or older at Sinai were dead. And what has happened in this 38-year period since the covenant then? Well, we, we see that from the time the Ten Commandments were given, when God's voice spoke directly to the people out of the fire, out of the cloud, out of the smoke there, and they were terrified, and they said, don't let this happen again, Moses. You go up, you talk to them, but don't have them talk to us or we're going to die. Well, we, we find Korah's rebellion in Numbers chapter 16, where they tried to burn the incense that we talked about. Hunter talked on that, right? And what happened then? At least four households were swallowed up by the earth, the ground opening up. 250 people were consumed by fire. 14,700 were taken by the plague. And then later on in Numbers 25, we find the Israelites worshiping Baal, fertility god. 24,000 more died as a result of that plague. And so whether by natural causes or whether by some sort of a spectacular judgment of God directly related to a particular act of rebellion, Everybody who had been 20 or more at Sinai was now dead at this time. And so here Moses is speaking with those who had been 20 or under at the time the covenant of the Ten Commandments was given at Horeb or, or Sinai. And, and in verse 3, we read that Moses says, The Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us. This is, this is not, it's not super, super clear as to how we interpret this particular phrase. There are a couple of of major primary options here. Uh, we, we know that many had died since Sinai. We know that thousands more had been born during those 38 years. You had a couple of million people probably crossing, at least a million crossing the Red Sea there. And they, those people over the course of 38 years uh, produced quite, quite a few children. And so this would be all of us who are alive here today. So the, the two primary ways of saying or understanding not with our fathers, but with us. One possibility is that Moses is simply saying, uh, God did not just make this covenant with those who were alive uh, and, and remembered his voice, not just for those who had been 20, under 20, uh, but from the cloud at Sinai, 
but he's including everybody, including those who weren't even born then, okay? So he could say not just with uh, our fathers, but with us, including those younger ones who were newly born in that time. That's clearly true. The Horeb covenant was for all of Israel, for all generations, including the thousands who would have been born after it was given. But there's another possibility, and I, I, I kind of lean on this other possibility as being the major way of interpreting that, when he says that this, this is not the covenant of our fathers, this covenant was given to us, not to our fathers. And, and that would be saying, we're talking about two different groups of people, and we're talking about two different covenants. Uh, the covenant of the Ten Commandments that was made at Mount Sinai that includes all of us who are alive today would be one part. And the one made with our fathers would have been the covenant that God made with Abraham that was repeated then with Isaac, that was repeated with, with Jacob. So the covenant with Abraham was this Abrahamic covenant. It was an unconditional, unilateral commitment from God that he was going to give his people, he was going to form a people, he was going to lead them into a promised land, he was going to give them so many descendants they would be uncountable, and he was going to bless them so that they could be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. That was the Abrahamic covenant kind of in a nutshell. Now, the covenant at Horeb or Sinai was a different kind of covenant than that unconditional unilateral covenant that God gave with Abraham. The covenant at Sinai was a conditional covenant. It was, it was the kind of, it's, it's technically got this kind of formal name of a, a suzerain vassal treaty covenant. And the idea there is like it's a king who makes a contract or a covenant with his, his subjects there. And so God the king was telling Israel at that point, you know, if, if, if you guys follow these commands, it was an arrangement for them to follow his way of living so that they could prosper, so that they could flourish, so that they could enjoy uh, his blessings. Now, scholar Eugene Merrill says that this was to regulate Israel's life as the promised nation within the framework of the Abrahamic. So again, the Abrahamic is this kind of unilateral thing, acting of God, grace, it's not law. And then you've got numbers that is really law, not so much, not so much grace there. It shows our need for grace, but it's really a, a covenant that says, obey and you will be blessed. So God would do what he promised to Abraham, no matter what happened. But in the Ten Commandments, in the Sinai covenant, God's people would not enjoy his blessings unless they faithfully obeyed his commandments. Now, we were talking today, just kind of in layman's easy terms here, we could say they were saved by grace, but their flourishing depended on their faithfulness, okay? So it wasn't about their salvation, it was about their flourishing. Now, I don't know if it was intentional, when Hunter was uh, dividing up all of our passages and assigning who was going to teach which week. Uh, but I, I know that back in October of last year, I taught on the Ten Commandments. And now here today, I'm in Deuteronomy 10. I got the Ten Commandments again. Was, was that intentional, Hunter, or did that just happen? Uh, uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're such a genius. Um, <laughs> anyway, the difference between these two passages with the Exodus 20 and the, the Deuteronomy 5, the, the, the differences are so minor, we're not going to go in and try to do a parallel comparison. Scholars do that in commentaries if you're interested. It's, it's, it's not got as much application as you might hope. Um, so what I, I would like to do is do a quick review of the big idea and flow from the teaching of Exodus 20 I gave back in October. The work is still a foundation just to keep building upon that. And then look at how the Ten Commandments 
point ahead to Jesus and lead us from bondage to freedom. So continue on in your Bibles with me. I'm going to read the second half of verse 5 and go through verse 33. And as we read, I want you to, to try to be attentive to how Moses is. It's not so much just speaking the commands as, you know, this is, let's says the Lord God, these are the commands that were given 38 years ago. He, he's really relating the story as well. He's, he's reminding them of what happened 38 years ago and then trying to help them see what that's going to have to do with their today uh, currently here. So, and the Lord said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. You must not bow down to them or worship them because I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the father's sin in the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Do not misuse the name of the Lord, your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Be careful to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord, your God, has commanded you. You are to labor six days and to do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female slave, your ox, your donkey, any of your livestock, or the foreigner who lives within your gates, so that your male and female slaves may rest as you do. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord God brought you out of there with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and so that you may prosper in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give dishonest testimony about your neighbor, and do not covet your neighbor's wife or desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male or female slave, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor." The Lord spoke these commands in a loud voice to your entire assembly from the fire, cloud, and thick darkness of the mountain. He added nothing more. He wrote them on two stone tablets and gave them to me. And all of you approached me and your tribal leaders and elders when you heard the voice from the darkness and while the mountain was blazing with fire. And you said, look, the Lord your God has shown us his glory and greatness and we have heard his voice from the fire. Today we have seen that God speaks with a person and yet he still lives. But now, why should we die? This great fire will consume us and we will die if we hear the voice of the Lord your God any longer. For out from all mankind he has heard the vo vo for, for who out of all mankind has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the fire as we have and lived. Go near, listen to everything the Lord God says then you can tell us everything the Lord our God tells you, and we will listen and obey. The Lord heard your words when you spoke to me. And he said to me, I've heard the words that these people have spoken to you, and everything they've said is right. If only they had such a heart to fear me and keep all my commands always, so that they and their children will prosper forever. Go and tell them, return to your tents, but you, Moses, stand here with me, and I will tell you every command, the statutes and ordinances that you are to teach them, so that they may follow them in the land I am giving them to possess. 
and be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You are not to turn aside to the right or to the left. Follow the whole instruction the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live, prosper, have a long life in the land that you will possess. So as we, we see these passages of, of, the, of the commandments and the, the, the retelling of the story of what happened at Sinai with a voice coming from the cloud and the people saying, whatever you say to us, we're going to obey. Remember, a good portion of Moses' hearers weren't even born at the time that God originally spoke the commands to the, the people. I think I have a big idea slide here. Uh, the, this morning, maybe just go down with this. Wake up, little Susie, wake up. Well, the big idea, maybe Hunter can wake it up for me there. Okay, thank you, bud. This was the, the big idea from back in Exodus 20, again, that the commandments were never about how to be saved. They were always about how God saved people are to live. And the big idea this morning for the retelling of this story and why it's the second time told in Deuteronomy, I believe, is that the Lord's covenants with his people need to be reinstilled in every generation, okay? Uh, every generation is going to need to have God's word reinstilled in it because they weren't even born the last time that was given. Like, and so they, they've not necessarily heard this, had an opportunity, unless the, our generation or the generation be 20 and above would be able to pass it on down to the, the next generation. Let's see what I had next here. We're going to look at the flow and um, as we, we look at God's covenant here from the, the Ten Commandments back in Exodus 20, again here in, in Deuteronomy 5, that, that God had delivered the Hebrew people out of slavery in Egypt to form his own people. And they were for his pleasure. He was going to give them their own land where they, he would be their king. And, and that was promised again in that Abrahamic covenant 400 years previously to that. Covenant made, I believe it's the covenant made with our fathers. Not the covenant made with us, but the covenant made with our fathers. And this law, Horeb covenant was given to the people who were there that had already been saved. God had already delivered them out of Egypt from their slavery. He had already taken them through the parted waters of the Red Sea. And now obeying the law, we see, had absolutely nothing to do with their salvation, right? Because they had already been saved. And instead, the law was given so that they would know how to live as God's chosen people in some sort of a civil uh, society. There's a, there's a sort of memory device that I think might be helpful for us here. And it just is alphabetical, okay? Um, G comes before L in the alphabet, right? Grace comes before law. A, a comes before M. So Abraham comes before Moses. Okay, just, just, just keep that in your mind as you're looking about this. Grace before law, Abraham before Moses. As we, we look at the flow of the commandments and the stipulations of the Bible, I had in October mentioned here that we have basically everything's flowing out of these two great commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then the second commandment would be to love your neighbor as yourself. And then we have the 10 words or the 10 commandments, and the first four are clearly about loving God more, and then, and then you have parents, and then there are other folks as well in the, in the loving your neighbor section. And then after that, there are 601 different commandments or stipulations that all one way or another flow into how to love God or how to love your neighbor in daily practical life. And so ultimately, all of the commandments, I think, remind us 
of just how much we need God's grace. They, they, they remind us that, if, my goodness, if I have got to obey all these commands in order to, to find God's favor and to be saved, I am in trouble. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm toast. Might, might as well even get me, get me going now uh, because I have no hope of, of being able to obey all of those consistently. And when, so when you hear someone say again, you know, I think I'm going to heaven because I'm, I try to be a good person. I really try hard to obey the Ten Commandments. When, when I hear that, I know that as well-meaning and as well-intentioned and maybe as kind as that person is, that person doesn't have a clue about what it means to be saved. Okay, That person does not understand uh, the purpose of the commandments, that the law was given to us as a tutor to show us our need for the Savior. They, they've not experienced salvation through faith in Jesus. So they don't understand the grace that comes before the law. They're thinking that the law is how I get saved. So they, they've, got the, they've got their um, L before their G, and the G has to always come before the L, grace before the law. Abraham comes before Moses. Now, we can't trust our own abilities and trust Jesus at the same time. I don't know if you ever tried to do that. I've tried to do that, and it, it hasn't worked, okay? Uh, when I try to trust my own abilities, I'm really not trusting Jesus. Um, because the, the Ten Commandments were, were never really a given to us about our salvation. They were to show us how desperately we need Jesus in the first place. And they're to show us how God's people are to live. So Jesus didn't come to abolish those Ten Commandments. Since they weren't about salvation in the first place, Jesus didn't say, well, I've got to do away from these now because I've saved you guys. So we can just erase all those Ten Commandments. Jesus, Jesus didn't do that. In, in fact, in Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them. I've come to fulfill them. Okay. And so what I'd like to just briefly show here is a little bit more of how Jesus actually took um, those commandments and he, he reinforced them and he deepened them uh, as he, he went through the New Testament. So we'll look a little bit at Jesus and the, the commandments. And in the second commandment, the first commandment again is love the Lord your God with all your heart or have no other gods before me. So um, commandment two, Jesus was the ultimate physical representation of God, not formed by humans. So he said, don't have any other images, right? So, so Jesus comes in and he is the image of the invisible God. So we see this commandment now pointing straight ahead to Jesus. We, we look then at the third commandment and Jesus taught his followers this to, to pray Hallowed be thy name, okay? Literally, it's a command to treat the name of the Lord your God as holy. That, that command three was do not misuse or take in vain the name of the Lord. I just feel like maybe just a little caveat here just to kind of clarify. It troubles me sometimes when I hear somebody use the Lord's name in a, in a sort of blasphemous or derogatory way when they say Jesus Christ in not a worshipful way, but in, in sort of almost a, a cursing way or when they would say, God damn something to be like, God curse this. And, and, and when that's in regular language there, that, that, that is troubling to me, but that is not really what I believe this commandment is actually talking about. When, when you look back at what the command is speaking here, in the Hebrew culture particularly, when, when you name someone, you had authority over that name, okay? Like God gave Adam authority to name Eve there. And so by, by knowing somebody's name, you, you could have some sense of power at times over that person. So God was saying, just because I give you my name here, 
That doesn't mean that you're going to have ownership over me, that you can use my name in magic, that you can use my name in incantations, that you can go around and say, okay, in the name of the Lord, I'm going to do this for my own pleasure, for my own benefit, for my own desires. He said, you can't misuse my name like that. I think that's really what this command was ultimately talking about in its original context. It's not just about profanities. Although profanities probably fall in the class of blasphemy and they're, they're still really wrong. But I just don't want us to, to diminish this because I think sometimes even in our Christian circles, we can use Jesus' name and, and Jesus' name and Jesus' name almost as a magical incantation. We, we can say, oh, I'm going to pray this in Jesus' name and he's going to have to give it to me because he says, anything you ask in my name, I'll give to you. Well, that, that, that is to misuse the name of the Lord. Um, so command number four, in Matthew 12, Jesus is accused of breaking the Sabbath by healing someone. And the fourth commandment is keep the Sabbath, maintain the Sabbath, keep it holy. So Jesus is accused of healing someone. Jesus explains his opponent's misunderstanding of the Sabbath. And he actually declares, I am Lord of the Sabbath. Okay, I'm the guy who gave you guys the Sabbath in the first place so that you would know how to rest. And from your own efforts. Then we get to kingdom five, or, or commandment number five. Now, Jesus rebukes religious leaders in Matthew chapter 15 for using their religion as a loophole not to honor their parents. Okay, uh, the fifth commandment is honoring your parents. And Jesus was saying to the Pharisees, you, you guys are not honoring your parents well. So he, can, he was reinstating, reinstilling and deepening even the fifth commandment to the religious people. And the sixth commandment, Jesus uh, talks here ab about anger. And this is the sixth commandment. You shall not kill somebody. You shall not murder them would be the sixth commandment. And Jesus takes that sixth commandment. He talks about being angry with another human being, calling them a name is, is sort of uh, almost the same thing as murdering them in your heart because Jesus is, is taking and drilling down even deeper on what these commandments were. And, and do you know what that nasty name that uh, Jesus said was worthy of the, you know, the hellfires of, if you call somebody this name? Do you remember what it was? Uh, it's basically literally an airhead. I mean, I don't know how many people when I was in high school called an airhead. It just seemed to be a, kind of a name that was going, oh, you airhead, you know. But uh, so, uh, but that that was that was doesn't sound to me like a terrible name. But Jesus said you could even call your brother an airhead or a moron. Um, you know, that's that's not good if it's an anger. The seventh commandment is Jesus uh, is, you know, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus, again, deepens this commandment. And he goes beyond the physical act of, of adultery to says it includes lust in the heart as being adulterous. Um, the eighth commandment, uh, not to steal. Jesus reinforces the command to not steal in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And again, going back to the original context of what it was, that, that command seems to more literally be don't kidnap people. You know, don't man steal. It wasn't just stealing like an object. It was, you know, don't, don't steal somebody's life, their property, or their, 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 their person there, the kidnapping. The other things would be more in the stipulations below, part of those 601 uh, stipulations that would flow out of the 10 words or 10 commandments. The ninth commandment was... Uh, Bearing false witness. Okay, now again, this is not just lying. Sometimes you say, well, you know, you shouldn't lie. It's against the ninth commandment. Well, then the ninth commandment is about bearing false witness. But what that's really talking about, again, in the context is when you have to have two witnesses against someone to prove their guilt or innocence there. And, and, and you go before a, ju a judge or you go before the tribunal 
and, and you give a false witness against someone saying that they were guilty when they were actually not guilty, okay? That, that's a pretty big deal. That's even more than just a lie. That, that could mean someone's life or death sentence uh, should go there. So that's, that's the bearing false witness. Lying is wrong as well, but this particular command is, is even bigger than lying. And then the, the 10th commandment is about coveting. You should not covet your, your, your neighbor's wife or his horse or his, in any of his livestock or his servants. So Jesus is warning against coveting here. And as we look at the Ten Commandments, we, we see that everything flows from the first commandment down through all the other ten. One through nine deal with the actions, though, that are visible to others, that are, that are conduct kind of things, stealing, honoring your parents. You kind of see that from the outside. But the Tenth Commandment is the only one that really is dealing with internal sin. The, the Tenth Commandment deals, coveting deals with our hearts and our motivations that aren't necessarily visible to anybody outside other than God. And back in Deuteronomy, when we, when we get back to Deuteronomy chapter five here, Moses reminds his hearers how the Lord then had spoken to these words of the 10 commandments out of the midst of the fire, out of the cloud, out of the thick darkness, and he did it with a loud voice. And the people were, they were astounded, they were frightened. Uh, that the Lord had spoken directly to them rather than speaking to them through Moses, the intermediary. And they said, if we hear his voice again, we're going to die. For, for who is there in all the flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and still live? They were, they were astounded that they had not already been, been uh, kind of uh, consumed by fire. And so he said, now you, Moses, go hear everything the Lord says and, and that he speaks to you, and we will hear and we will do it. That was what we read earlier in Deuteronomy 29, 27 of chapter 5, uh, uh, 25 to 27 of chapter 5. And then the Lord, you remember what the Lord says in those verses? Look what he says in verse 29, if you have your Bibles open there. He says, oh, that they had such a heart as this always to hear me, to keep my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. Now, there, there, I think there are at least a couple of takeaways I just want us to think about before we go this morning. And, and one of those is our big idea for this morning, that, that, that the Lord's covenant, um, let's see, I don't have that one. I, I copied the wrong, I copied the idea from the other uh, Exodus 20 sermon. But the, each generation needs to have these commandments reinstilled. And Deuteronomy 5 shows us the importance of retelling God's truth to these generations that may not have heard God speak or experienced his great power like the people at Horeb and Sinai did. Now, I would imagine, guys, just that in a room with this many of us in here today, that there are a number of us, probably with adult children, who either don't know God's voice yet or have heard it and walked away from it. And there are probably a number of folks who are feeling a fair amount of, of uh, regrets, um, maybe guilt, maybe some shame, that you didn't tell your kids about the gospel clearly, that you didn't instill these teachings in them well, that you didn't model what it looks like to really follow Jesus while they were younger and then possibly you did, and they just walked away anyway. That's, that's always a possibility. You won't find a better disciple maker than Jesus. And, and Judas still walked away. And so it, it's not always about how we do, 
But what I want to say is that in, in any case, we, we need to commit ourselves to both telling and showing the next generation what it means to follow Jesus and what it looks like to follow Jesus. We have to continue to instill and re-instill in the, the continuing generations so that they can know how to hear his voice. And then we have to help them learn how to do that, what it means. And then, then we encourage them to obey what it means. The, the, the Ten Commandments and the rest of God's law show us our inability to keep those commandments. They show us our desperate need for a Savior. And so if you're in that situation where maybe your, your children are not walking with Jesus and you feel like, boy, I kind of blew it back then, or maybe you even came to faith after they were out of the house, you know, I just want to give you a little, little bit of grace here this morning to say, let's, let's preach the gospel to ourselves here a little bit. We serve a very big God, and, and he's bigger than our failures to obey him. But the cross reminds us and the resurrection reminds us that he is bigger even than the death sentence that was imposed upon us for our sin. And he is able to draw our children to himself. I, I don't know how many of you came to faith as, a, as an adult, you know, past your high school years. But, you know, my parents came to faith in their 60s uh, after many, many years of praying for them. God, God has probably brought some of you to faith through some circumstances after some times of wandering and walking away. And if, let's face it, guys, if he can bring us to himself, he can bring anybody, right? And, and so we continue to preach the gospel to ourselves and we continue to trust the God who is able to draw our children to himself and keep them there to change hearts. And as you hear the voice of the Lord speaking through his word, you know, Remember what they said there? They said, tell us what to do and we will do it. Whatever you say, we will obey. Well, maybe this morning needs to be one of those moments when, when you sort of recognize your need for Jesus and his spirit to do in you what you've not been able to do on your own best efforts. And your prayer might be something like, Lord, you and I both know that, that whatever promise I make to you this morning to always be faithful and obedient is going to be broken. I, I'm not going to always be faithful and obedient, no matter how much I want to be. I do desire to love you more. I do desire to hear your voice. I do desire to learn. I do desire to obey you. So, so I can say at this moment, right now, what you say I will do. And I want to go throughout the whole day saying, Lord, what you say I will do. But I know I can't do that unless your Holy Spirit really comes in and speaks to me and empowers me. So what you say I will do, please strengthen me, Lord, through your spirit. Give, give me the want to as well as the will to and the ability to do what you say. And I, I think, you know, we can go forth from here today in peace, knowing again that the, that the commandments were not ever meant to save us. They were meant to teach us how to live because the covenant with Abraham is the one that saves us. God's great grace is shown in Jesus. He accomplished what he said he was going to accomplish. And as, as we, we go forth, then we, we go knowing that we, we have that promise fulfilled already in our lives. So the rest of it now is just, how do we obey you, Lord? How do we do what you ask us to do for your glory and for the benefit of those around us? Thanks for joining us today. For more information on the Williamsburg Friday Men's Breakfast, please visit wcchapel.org slash men's breakfast. 
I hope you'll join us again next week for the next installment of our journey with the Israelites through the wilderness. Until then, God bless and have a great week. Thank you.